Welcome to Estradile Illusions. This will be our Mandalorian Season 2 review episode. And before we begin, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who has followed along with us this season. And uh, Happy New Year as well. And that's kind of why we have... It feels like forever since we had some Baby Yoda. And yet, it's really only been two weeks. And, well, I say that. I know there's a lot of people... In doing week-to-week Game of Thrones recaps all the way back at the beginning of the podcast, I know there are a lot of people who will, uh, six months from now, a year from now, will be listening to these. So this episode, this review episode, was recorded on January 4th. So the show's been over for a bit, but uh, there's been a lot of Star Wars news, and uh, there was that big, uh, that big reveal in the finale. And I think that before I wanted to really do a deep dive into the season, a dive that actually, I mean, frankly, is not going to be that deep, but I wanted to, to think about what, what the Mandalorian means in a world where we're not going to get the Mandalorian until 2022. The streaming world that the Mandalorian helped kind of usher in, in terms of Disney and Star Wars and Disney Plus and all the, all the content, you know, we're going to have Marvel content starting pretty soon. Uh, and, and that'll be uh, weekly for pretty much, uh, you know, the foreseeable future. And that's after we haven't had any new Marvel MCU content since, well, not counting Hellstrom, which is being canceled. But uh, we haven't really, we, we haven't had any major, like, big, big capital C canon MCU content since Spider-Man. And uh, Disney Plus is really going to be kind of the central hub for a lot of this stuff, including Star Wars. It's going to be a billion new Star Wars series. And I've been, I've just been thinking about all of that and what what it means that we have this show that uh, is wrapping a really 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 good second season, and it, it's a season that that accomplished all of the things that I was really hoping it would accomplish, and that's actually I mean I, I've talked about this in uh, past recaps. There's really two big things going into the season that I didn't want them to do, and thankfully they really didn't do either that much. I didn't want them to spend every episode on a planet filled with rocks like Navarro or Tatooine or God forbid. If I think if they went to Jakku, I would have, which is just Tatooine, J.J. Abrams Tatooine because Force Awakens is pretty much a New Hope remake. I I didn't want, it's it's falling into the same trope that Star Trek does. Every episode, billion infinite possibilities, but they're all the same pile of rocks. And they didn't do that. We did go back to Navarro. We did go back to Tatooine. But we didn't enjoy it that much. We got to see some other planets, which were fun. So, show accomplished that front. That was great. And then, I really didn't want them to spend a lot of time on the season two recurring cast. This is a show that has two char- two main characters. And one of them, I was about to say, doesn't really ever show his face. But he does when it really does matter. And when he shows his face, it packs an emotional punch. And, of course, the other character is a little puppet. So, not a big cast. And season one really relied on characters like Grief Karga or Kui. And to a lesser extent, I guess also uh, Cara Dune, Warner Herzog's the, the Client. We needed these people to kind of help carry the show at points where... I mean, the, the, there's an emotional sort of detachment that, that a viewer is going to feel towards a character who is was uh, secretive and opaque and he's not like C-3PO who's a robot and you can't see his face because there's an actor's face inside there. No, he's a character who is hiding something from you. He will not take off his helmet. 
You want him to take off his helmet. You want to see Pedro Pascal. You want to see his mustache, which doesn't make any sense for a helmeted character to have, per- perpetually helmeted character. So he's hiding something, and that 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 creates kind of an emotional detachment. I did a novel once where I didn't, uh, where I didn't reveal the character's first name, his name at all, and people were kind of annoyed about that. People don't necessarily like secret. If you're gonna keep a secret from the audience, you have to be willing to uh, throw them a bone every once in a while. And the season did that, did that really, really well. I I thought that that worked. But uh, with regard to the recurring cast. I didn't think we needed to see Cara Dune all that much, and that's not just because uh, Gina Carano is a huge Trump supporter and a transphobe, among other things. Thinks pronouns are people, people, What a ridiculous dynamic. There's just there's there's just so much you can do when you're setting off on a quest, and I I spent a lot of the early episodes kind of wondering what this season was going to be about because I I sure as hell didn't think that they were going to separate. Uh, Mando and Baby Yoda, Gragu, I didn't think that was going to happen this season. I thought they were going to string that along as much as possible. And we saw in the first season, we saw a lot of... They they moved the ball forward in, in little bits, but, but they were constantly going back to Navarro, and, and it was... Uh, the ball wasn't getting moved forward all that much. It was kind of taking taking charge of uh, stuff that was uh, that had been kind of set up since the beginning, the client, all of that. And then, of course, they killed him. Sadly, Werner Herzog, uh, hopefully, maybe, maybe we'll see him again. But uh, without that anchor to kind of uh, set the tone for the season, I was really hoping that they would move the ball forward and not constantly revisit areas that they had already been. And they didn't really do that. We saw Grief Cargo once this season, which, which frankly was probably not even enough. And we didn't see, uh, we didn't see Cara Dune all that much. She made a couple of appearances, but uh, the show was traveling to Brave New Worlds, which was uh, a lot of fun. And they really leaned into uh, creating new characters uh, or showing new characters that had already been in the series, like Bo-Katan, Asaka Tanao. We even got a hint at Grand Amrothon. That would be great. But <laughs> the show the show was, was really forward-thinking in terms of we're going to show new things. That's going to be uh, a lot of fun. And we're not really going to lean too hard into the past. They built a fun new world, and now they're going to play in it. And that was uh, certainly a lot of fun. And they actually... I, I never would have thought that they would have actually moved the ball forward as much as they did. And they're setting up a, a, a Mandalorian Civil War, which has been kind of shown in the comics. And, and some of the expanded universe, canon and non-canon, start to kind of tell these days. And actually, I mean, with all the live-action stuff, I think a lot of that may actually kind of take center stage in terms of canon. We may still see uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels uh, still canon, but comic stuff. Uh, who knows? It's a very exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. And this season did a fabulous job uh, having episodic storytelling. Like, you, you'll get a you get a 35 to 45 minute episode of television that tells a story, but at the end of it, there's been clear progress. They're not spinning their tires. They're not going from Tatooine back to Navarro. There's no, you know, grief, grief's planning a trap. Help, help, we'll stop hunting you. Baby Yoda's gonna be hunted by someone. And they managed to have Moff Gideon be kind of like the big bad of the season, and yet he didn't really, he didn't really make his presence known really until he captures uh, Baby Yoda at, at, at 
in in the show's uh, sixth sixth episode, six of eight. So I mean that that was certainly great. Uh, and they did they they managed to bring some people back from last season in in a pretty organic way. I mean maybe the one exception to have uh, to to do an episode where Bill Burr's character comes back. I I don't know. I mean that may be Miggs Mayfeld is. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a fine character. That was probably the the one callback that they didn't necessarily need to do, but uh, it's fine to bring uh, Cardoon back. We saw Doctor Pershing back. We uh, we're seeing the semblance of a show that has uh, Phoenix back. We see a semblance of a show that is is building a recurring character bench while not afraid to uh, bring in new characters and uh, create create storytelling that that meets the meets the demands of what the episode wants to do. I mean, the, the problem, if you go through, like, uh, I'm watching Smallville a lot recently, but uh, any show in the Arrowverse or uh, a lot of sitcoms like The Office or Parks and Recreation, you have to center your storytelling around the main cast, and that that requires you to, uh, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, writing scripts that that are uh that the plot is determining where the people need to go you have to find stuff for your cast members to do they have to be involved some way and for a show that only has two cast members when you're bringing on other people who have been on the show before you do kind of need to establish hey this is why we're bringing these characters back and they did that pretty effectively and it all kind of came together for it was it was pretty predictable that that you know, pretty much everybody that that Mando had interacted with, with I guess the one, I mean, with the exceptions of I guess Grief and uh, Migs, came back for the rescue, which was a lot of fun to have uh, all of those characters together and uh, a girl power moment that wasn't just uh, that that really built on the <laughs> absolute mess that God that Avengers Endgame. We just did that in the last pod. If you're if you're listening to these back to back, you just heard me say a lot of that stuff. I haven't said it in two weeks though, but <laughs> it was fun. This episode, I mean, this season did so many things that were uh, great, and uh, only had one real stinker, and that was the passenger, where you have Frog Lady, who's kind of a joke, but is not really, and it's cute that Baby Yoda's eating the eggs, but actually those are the last of her species. So why is he doing that? Is this cute? Is it not cute? That's actually a really good segue into. One of my other sort of, maybe not a main concern of this season, but something that I was worried about was the idea that they got to film the first season without really understanding, processing that uh, Baby Yoda... I mean, I I would assume that a lot of people behind the scenes knew that Baby Yoda would be the breakout character, but uh, it wasn't quite... I I don't know if anyone really could have prepared themselves for uh, the idea that Baby Yoda was going to be, like, this meme that... I mean, honestly, probably should have been the Times Person of the Year last year. But (laughs) if if it were up to me, I would have totally picked Gragu for that. But uh, they didn't lean too hard into uh, into Baby Yoda as the walking embodiment of a meme. We saw that most with the uh, blue macaroons in Grief's one episode, episode four, which honestly, I mean, that was probably the one episode that was, I mean, th- there were a couple, season two, I mean, episode two was fil- uh, was filler. That was my one rotten of the whole season. And uh, ep- episode four, 
They go back to Navarro. They did they did manage to kind of move the ball forward a teensy, teensy little bit with uh, going on to the, the Imperial base, which has just been kind of left there. I mean, one, one, one complaint that I would have about this uh, season as a whole is, is it really never concerned itself with exposition. The the episodes were were small were short. We had uh, oftentimes they were barely over half an hour. Rarely did they hit the fifty minute marker, which is is generally considered standard for for streaming HBO, uh, the premium cable, that kind of stuff. Anything that isn't pr- pretty much required to have a commercial tends to kind of go that length. And you see it in a lot of Netflix shows will have episodes that are over an hour long, and they don't need to be. And I like that the show knows that it doesn't have to be that long. And yet there are points where you sit and wonder, gee, why is there an Imperial base here? Wh- who is funding this? Who's who's paying the people to be here? I mean, some of the Imperial Stormtroopers clearly kind of want to be there. We got to see their moment of uh, Stormtrooper pride in uh, the seventh episode where uh, they're cheering Mayfeld and Mando for <laughs> getting rid of the Raiders. But why is that base there? Why are they... Why are they... I don't know. I, I, I don't want to focus too much on that. But uh, I, I mentioned at points, like... You know, some exposition would be nice. It would be nice to know what the New Republic is doing on Coruscant, and yet there's a billion new shows which are really good, which are going to tell us all of that. So we don't know now, but we will probably know later, and does it really matter? No. I mean, this is pretty much the one show in the history of television where I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I need more exposition. Most of the time, it's I need less exposition. I'm a big comic book reader. Comic books love to spend... Uh, they, they spend pages and pages doing world building. Uh, Jonathan Hickman's The Whole Krakoa, Dawn of X. Uh, they have full pages of text that are... And this is Marvel Con. I don't know how many people are actually reading that uh, currently. but <laughs> Sometimes you're just sitting there being like, I'm spending all this time learning all this information, and when is it actually going to come in handy? And oftentimes the answer is, it's not going to come in handy. But... So, so take everything I say about exposition with a grain of salt, but uh, maybe some more exposition would have been nice. Some more Boba Fett would have been nice, but we're getting a whole new show all about Boba Fett. And we're bringing Fennec too, which is great, because Ming-Na Wen is uh, an incredible actress, and uh, she's gotten a lot of great roles. I've loved her since she was on ER a very long time ago. She's been great on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., obviously the voice of Mulan, tons of great stuff. That's, uh, it's, it's really great to see. And uh, I'm really looking... I'm probably looking forward to that show, The Book of Boba, more than I'm looking forward to Season 3 of Mando. And that show doesn't even have Baby Yoda, so, like, what the hell? Anyway. I don't know. I, I, I like this season a lot. Each, uh, each, each episode carries a feel like it could be a really big deal. And I think... So a lot of people have been trying to kind of unpack what it means that, that Luke Skywalker appeared in the finale. And what it does kind of mean is that the Mandalorian is, is turning a page. This isn't sort of the little show that could. This is definitely not the Baby Yoda show. And it really never was the little show that could. It was doing its own thing while uh, the Star Wars movies on the big screen were sucking. And people were tired of the Skywalkers. They were tired of the endless nostalgia. Mandalorian has never not really been about nostalgia. There's Easter eggs galore in pretty much every episode. This show did not save Star Wars. Star Wars is a billion-dollar entity. Star Wars would have been fine without the Mandalorian. It's better off now that we do have the Mandalorian. But 
I guess the big question moving forward is, is The Mandalorian going to be a show that lives and dies by the mic drop moments at the end? That's kind of the question that... It's an open question. It doesn't have an answer. I cannot answer it. Uh, I don't think John Favreau can answer it because he hasn't written the next season yet. We don't know what kind of show The Mandalorian will be in Season 3. We do know that the show transitioned from primarily building sort of self-contained episodic storytelling to broader, okay, we'll still tell you a kind of a self-contained story in this episode, but wait for it, something big is going to happen. And that can be a dangerous route to take uh, viewers on if they expect... I mean, the the reason that Luke Skywalker had had uh, such a big impact was that was the 16th episode of the series. We had two years. They waited two years before they... they ex- well, I mean, really, they waited about one year, if you count the 15 months, 14 months, something like that. You build up to that. And if you build up to that, you, you can either create a, a, a scenario where you spend all every episode of a following season trying to live up to that moment, or you acknowledge that that moment was special and you uh, lay down the foundation for some solid storytelling for uh, a future mic drop moment down the road. And the show kind of did that path while also sort of setting off another path sort of simultaneously, and that lies with uh, Mando's journey of kind of accepting the fact that his sect of Mandalorian is is a extremist, that maybe he should take his helmet off. So those kind of moments are, are really the, the meat and potatoes type of storytelling that shows like The Mandalorian live and die by. You can't live and die as a show by your Luke Skywalker reveals. That's just, it's it's not a sustainable formula. There's only so many times... You can blow your audience's mind before they realize that you are trying to purposefully blow their mind. You can't swing for the fence every single time. You have to sometimes hit singles and doubles. And that's something the show's been very, 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 very good at. It's been very good at these small moments. Uh, I say small moments. This show has <laughs> the best action sequences of basically any... Any episodic show. We had uh, Michael Hurst from Hercules uh, Legendary Journeys on the show in September. And I noted then that uh, it was really remarkable how that show was able to put together some really solid action scenes in practically every episode. And this wasn't with a ton of special effects. You don't see that. Like, like the, the Arrowverse is really good at that kind of stuff of, of doing pre- pretty solid fight scenes. I mean, not, not movie caliber fight scenes, but, but pretty solid action sequences uh, every episode. And they're, they're pretty satisfying. This show, The Mandalorian, was like, holy shit, we will give you cinematic quality fight sequences and we will do it every episode. That's remarkable. And... Uh, you know, they, they managed to do that alongside sort of more small-scale television storytelling, investing in characters, uh, giving people uh, moments that, that satisfied them for, ha- for having sat down to watch that episode that week while also being excited for the next week. When you have a movie, people sit down, they walk away satisfied, but it's going to be years before they, if ever, if they ever get another installment. TV has to put out a show every week. And I mean, I say that, we're in the streaming era. They've put eight episodes out, and they'll probably won't be back for two more years. So who the hell really knows? But uh, it was fun. 
We saw kind of like, uh, I'm thinking back to the first episode, The Marshall. That was probably the most like the show that it had been uh, in its previous season where you got like a big adventure, but uh, they, they kill a great dragon. But uh, it, it's not like it really, really, really mattered for the the broader arc. And then, you know, they, they moved further and further away with that. You know, by the time episode three, when we have Bo-Katan, then it's like, okay, we're really starting to dip into uh, Star Wars lore. And then, you know, only two episodes after that, we have Asaka Tanao, which is uh, pretty remarkable. And... Uh, they really, uh, I, I was pretty, pretty uh, blown away by the fact that they did Tython the the following episode, and epi- I mean TV does this. In the old days, you had a twenty two episode season. You couldn't, you couldn't have some big thing from uh, people would get so furious at the show Lost, for example, because Lost would have its big moments every couple of episodes, but in between there were a lot of episodes where you're like, shit, I don't really care about this. I want to find out what's going to happen next. And then you'd, you'd get a rerun, and it'd be like, fuck. But <laughs> it's true. It's really the most frustrating thing on the planet. And now we have Mandalorian where it's like, no, you're going to get something exciting every week. And that's kind of what this show uh, gradually started to become, which is uh, pretty remarkable. And they did such a fabulous job. I feel like... I didn't I didn't do a season in review at the end of season one because I felt like each episode I kind of said all I needed to say and that uh, kind of in the closing paragraphs of most of my written reviews kind of hinted at, you know, what does this mean for this broader show? This was a really, 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 really solid season of television. It was very satisfying. And uh, the pacing, the pacing was surprisingly good. The fact that they accomplished all of this in a single season, I like it when shows say, you know, we're gonna swing for the fences. We're not, we'll hold some stuff back, but we're not gonna hold a lot of it back. And, uh, I mean, the Luke Skywalker reveal honestly is the kind of thing that you end a show on. You don't necessarily end a season on that. That's a, okay, here's our mic drop moment. We showed you the big guy. We're actually done with the show now. So, it kind of feels in a lot of ways like like the Mandalorian is over and it should feel like that it should feel like that naturally to a certain extent because the two main characters are separated Mando achieved his mission there's a lot of stuff that's uh that, that they still have to do with the Mandalorian Civil War the show did a great job setting up hey this story is not over there's a lot more stuff that we're going to do but we did finish our first mission and however long this show goes uh you know they're they're gonna have to keep doing that, but they uh it, they did a really good job of saying okay this chapter of our show is done, but don't you fret we have a lot more stuff. I mean they're going to be reunited. We're going to see Mando and Baby Yoda again. Fans would get very angry. I thought that they would stay together until pretty much the end of the show. I was wrong about that. Uh, whether <laughs> whether that was a good choice for the show, uh, jury will will be out on that for a while. We won't know the answer. TV is often kind of filled with a lot of not not maybe not missed opportunities, but there's always going to be potential that you couldn't get to because TV has a smaller budget. I mean, film. There's always going to be things in film you don't get to do because of cast uh, cast availability or budget or any of that. Uh, TV is a genre that or a medium that that is bound to kind of leave a lot of stuff on the table. And with I mean all with all of that in mind, to see how little that that. The Mandalorian left on the table at this point. 
Really impressive. Not enough Boba Fett, though. Not enough Boba Fett. I don't care if you have a whole Boba Fett show coming off. To introduce him and then uh, to introduce him in the sixth episode and then kind of have him stand around for the next two. Eh, he should he should get to have more fight scenes. I don't want to just see him fight uh, Bo-Katan and her friend. I want to see more. But we will get to see more. And that'll be fun. I don't know. I, I don't really have a ton more to say about the show that, that hasn't already been said. Uh, Star Wars, we're going to get... This is really the greatest time to be alive for a Star Wars fan. We're getting so much new stuff. Uh, we may do an episode on that uh, in the coming months. Uh, my schedule is going to be really busy with sending a new book out and uh, with Sundance, all of that. So I don't know when we'll get to any of that stuff, but uh, it's been such a, f- a treat to cover the show. And I want to thank everybody for following along. Uh I, I decided to do these recaps. Basically, I mean, I think like a day or two before the the show started. Not really sure what we were gonna do, and it's it's not a show that that is really super conducive to doing deep dives into stuff because it's 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 pretty much surface level entertainment a lot of the time. It is a show that's designed to reward people who like the uh, expanded universe and the the animated shows and the comics, but it's not supposed to penalize you for not doing that stuff. So. It, it's very whereas something like Game of Thrones I mean if you read the book and if you don't read the book those are really two vastly different experiences I have read the comics I don't know how different the experience would be for somebody who had just kind of seen the movies uh, with Star Wars but a lot of fun I had a great time uh, I hope I don't know I mean the necessity of an episode like this is just kind of up in the air things were really great they did a lot of stuff you don't need to be worried that we saw Luke Skywalker. He is going to... Uh, it was a good thing. It was a great moment. And uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to see Jedi in every episode moving forward. Although, I mean, maybe... I don't, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have a script. I don't know. I am very much looking forward to it, though. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for following us along. You've really... Uh, it's 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 been such a such a pleasure so thank you and uh thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time